0: views expressed on this program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers, and are not necessarily those of the station, its management, or other advertisers. You're listening to Transformation Talk Radio.
1: Welcome to Cultural Brilliance Radio, the DNA of organizational excellence with Claudette Rowley. Conversations that are transforming the world of culture and business. Claude Ed brings fresh, innovative perspectives that push the boundaries of what organizational cultures can and should be. Learn how to catalyze your organization's workforce into an authentic, intentional, and financially successful culture. Now, here's your host, Claude Ed Rowley.
2: Wow. It is so amazing. I'm actually Dr. Pat Claudette Rowley is joining me here today. I got to tell you, we are firing it up here. I get to have these incredible chats with Claudette about cultural brilliance and on cultural brilliance radio, which this is, I am so honored to be featuring the work that she does in the world and her commitment to organizational excellence. For those of you that have not heard the show or uh, have heard the show, you know that what Claudette is about is about reminding all of us that there are people in organizations that can shine. They can illuminate the way for amazing results. Claudette is uh, the CEO of an incredible company, 20 years plus experience and organizational development. She's created a five-step cultural brilliance methodology and works one-on-one with executive leaders, individuals, teams, and brings the best out of people. Why? Because the model she's created, the idea of cultural brilliance taps in to the authentic nature of each and every one of us. Whether you're a small business or a large corporation, whether you're somebody that's trying to figure out how to get your organization to work better or looking for innovative, extraordinary results, Claudette knows how to bring her area of expertise and the team forward to help you. Today, one of my favorite topics, Claudette, cultures of innovation. I mean, this is really the key. Welcome. This is great to have you here. You know, Cultures of Innovation, That just the sound of that rings of success, doesn't it?
3: It does, Pat. I'm th- and thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Uh, it does ring of success. It's just fun. It's fun to think about innovation, isn't it?
2: <laughs> yeah. And, you know, you and I have heard so often in organizations, you know, if you're not going to innovate, you're, not, you're just not going to be in the game. You know, it's not going to happen. And uh, I remember uh, talking with uh, someone not too long ago who was trying to keep up. And I think when you're struggling to keep up, perhaps you haven't really looked at the culture in the organization. Maybe you're trying to do it from either a technology point of view. So tell us a little bit about you know, the idea of, uh, of this idea of innovation being that thing of continual change.
3: Absolutely. So, innovation is about continual change. So it's really a metamorphosis. And we, when we look at organizations that innovate continuously, and we have, of course, our our great examples of Apple and Google and companies that we're all familiar with. We, and then there's so mm-hmm. many others that we've never heard of that are innovative. We see that they are consistently changing, whether it's the products they're putting out, their own internal culture, but they have uh, this level of creativity and this level of risk-taking that really works for them and allows them to continue to transform over and over again. And the rest of us benefit most of the time.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, isn't this really looking at innovation as not just something, what, that we do once a year, twice a year, but kind of looking at it as something that gets embedded in the organization, you know, that becomes part of the culture, yet The way we approach culture sometimes completely leaves it out. But the way that you talk about brilliant cultures, it's embedded as part of the conversation right at the get-go.
3: Yeah, it, it definitely is. One of the things that I've noticed about innovative cultures is that they tend to make a commitment to continuous learning, which a lot of us are familiar with. The thing we don't talk about as much though is in truly innovative cultures, The people in the organization, the culture itself, tends to be fairly self-aware. So you're not seeing a culture that might be asleep at the wheel, a culture that doesn't understand itself, a culture that actually hurts people on a regular – hurts the people who work for it on a regular basis by not treating them well or being disrespectful to them. So the other thing I notice in those cultures, too, is they're less – Something that's less embedded within their culture is assumption and bias about themselves or their industries. So they really tend to have a much better sense, you know, have their finger on the pulse of what makes them successful as an organization and what would have them actually become much less successful.
2: Yeah. You know, what have you discovered along the way when you're looking at this and you're looking at, you know, how people approach culture? Um, it, it seems like it's so natural to say, "Wait a minute, you know, innovative cultures, of course, innovative cultures." But yet, at the same time, we're not really clear about what allows this innovation to emerge, as you just mentioned. But also, uh, we're we're not even really clear what an innovative culture is, right? Uh, but we know that when we hear that term, right, innovative cultures are like, "Oh my gosh, I gotta have that! I gotta have that now!" And yet. We just are stunned that we can't figure this out. I'm just curious to know what you've discovered are some of the characteristics of this.
3: Some of the, and I agree, a lot of times in organizations, what we see <laughs> is they'll, they'll, they'll decide we're going to have a couple of teams become innovative. And that's great, except that you can't just ask a couple of teams to c- become innovative without looking at your, your entire culture. Uh, do we have... A management structure in place that allows for the flexibility needed for innovation? Do we Mm -hmm. have some financial resources tapped for this innovation? So sometimes it's done in isolation, which really doesn't work. And so some of the foundations of an innovative culture characteristics are things like that there is a commitment to learning, uh, that when we really think about innovation itself, because it's about transforming and altering and changing things continuously, it makes sense that you have to keep learning. So if you try something, you need to debrief? How did it work? What did we learn? If something fails, what do we learn from that? How do we move forward? So it's really, it's being ruthlessly committed to debriefing and learning. That's one of the key characteristics of it.
2: And in fact, you know, and yeah, go ahead. I I mean, I, I'm really struck by my, you know, my personal experience in organizations where, you know, I'm not even, uh, I'm not even aware that there is something that needs to happen here.
3: Right. Right. Absolutely. So people aren't often aware, and sometimes what we also see is, well, I think about innovation too in terms of the external culture, uh, what the organization's putting out into the world in terms of its brand, its products, its services, and then there's that internal internal aspect to the culture, which is what's happening inside of the organization, and we sometimes see cultures that are innovative externally, and then mm-hmm. internally, they're not that innovative. So in terms of how they handle their management structure and their people, so Apple, as we know, is one example, externally extremely innovative, right? We could It'd be hard to be more innovative than Apple in some ways. And then depending on what you read about them, some people will say that the management structure and how people are working together within the organization may be a little bit less innovative, that sometimes there's a lot of tension, that there's there is kind of a, a cloak of secrecy, which makes sense given what they do. There are some, some people I've written... written about the strict rules about how that organization needs to operate internally. Other people say, hey, it's a lot of fun to work there. So it depends on who you are and probably where you are in the company. But it's an interesting thing to think about when we see companies that have these incredible externally innovative cultures, what's going on internally? Sometimes that matches and sometimes it actually, it doesn't always match up. And that's where we start to look at, you know, some of these foundations of what, what, creates a truly innovative organization inside and out.
2: Yeah, you're bringing up a really good point because some of these top companies, and I were actually worked for one of them, Bell Laboratories. And, you know, in working for Bell Labs, clearly there was a level of innovation that most of the world did not know about. You know, you just think of the, you, everybody thought of a, about them as the phone company, right? Right. So nobody really knew what this company was actually doing, you know, where there was basic research that was happening. Now, basic research is really an anomaly. You know, it's all applied. But yet, inside the organization were the most incredibly creative people sworn to secrecy. <laughs>
3: <laughs> right. <laughs>
2: Yeah. Uh, and you're probably thinking right now is really sworn to secrecy about the telephone. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, y- you know, it's hard to imagine that we're talking about, you know, this level of, of secrecy and the and the degree to which they're, the attorney structure in these companies, y- you know, uh, if somebody asked me what I thought was one of the, the most uh, uh, difficult situations that I had working in the phone company. And I said, yeah, I can remember when, and Claudette, you're going to love this like 1973 or some ridiculous (laughs) year. I don't even remember. They developed the picture phone. Mm -hmm. And it was this giant piece of computer monitor equipment, which was actually a picture phone. And they canned it because they thought women would not want to be seen in their picture phones. But isn't that the way what you're talking about? Isn't it really not really having a sense of where innovation could be tapped into and not even looking at the culture to see what would work best, right?
3: Yeah, absolutely. And one of the, the other key characteristics of a truly innovative culture, especially one that's also a brilliant culture, is that there's listening going on. That people yeah. are listening, the leaders are listening, and, uh, employees and peers are listening to each other, and everyone who could be listening is actually listening. And I'm always curious to see what would happen if we took some of our most truly innovative companies right now, Apple, Google, many of our others, and everyone learned to listen really carefully. You know, what what <laughs> would be possible then? I think even more, even more innovation <laughs> would actually be possible.
2: I love this. Oh yeah, I love what we're talking about here because we don't really connect the idea of listening with innovation. We're going to take a short break and we come back. We're going to be talking about what, you know, look, let's look at innovation. What are the foundations? And for many people listening to the show, I just want to say this about Claudette. It doesn't matter if you are a Fortune 100 company or a startup company. It doesn't matter if you're a large business or a small business or even a sole proprietorship. This is by far across the board one of the most important aspects of what you get to look at in your culture. When we come back, we're going to talk about the idea of learning, 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 learning. What happens when an organization literally shuts down the pipeline for learning? And why is learning and risk-taking, why do these two go hand in hand? That's why we got Claudette Riley joining us here today. When we come back, we'll tell you how you can find out more about her and about Cultural brilliance. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Leslie Fontaine, and my show is Sheer Alchemy on TransformationTalkRadio.com. When we're bogged down with our emotions, the hardships that plague us in our relationships at work, our
0: finances, we literally can't see the higher plane where we could be operating from. Tune in to Leslie Fontaine, Sheer Alchemy on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Talk Radio.
2: Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Cultural Brilliance Radio, the DNA of organizational excellence. Claudette rallies in the house. Claudette, you know, before we get into this, because I know we get talking about this and we just... Totally, time stops. But before we get back into talking about the Foundations of Innovation, I'd love for you to take a moment to let folks know, first of all, how they can find out more about you and how can they contact you?
3: Thanks, Pat. So the best way to find out more about me and contact me is through my website, which is ClaudetteRowley.com. Simple and easy. Mm.
2: Cool. And, you know, when you go there, uh, please, everybody, take a look. And what you're going to find is you're going to find uh, information about cultural brilliance. I want to make sure you take a look at that. Um, and in the shows that Claudette and I are going to do together, we're going to really talk about cultural brilliance, the the essence of it. But what is it? This this thing? This thing that organizations so shy away from, and why is it that most of the conversation about culture? folks talk about not being able to have. Well, that's why Claudette has created what she's created. Uh, Cultural innovation is so important in the world we live in today. I mean, the business model for it, Claudette, everything around this is important. And most of the time, we don't say cultural innovation. We just say innovation. And we forget that there are actually people here. So, you know, before the break, I said, we're going to talk about learning. We're going to start to talk about listening and we're starting to talk about risk taking, but these three things together are very dynamic, aren't they?
3: They absolutely are. Because if you're not listening, it's hard to know what step to take next, or you're going to miss really important information Mm -hmm. that people, someone might have. And in order to take risks, you need to be able to learn from the risks you've taken and, uh, I was reading an article and it talked about risk taking as smart, a smart failure, that it's not, we're not failing because we didn't do our homework and someone made a careless mistake. It's really saying we're going to, we're taking a calculated risk and it may fail. There may be mistakes in it. And if that happens, we're okay because we're going to learn from that and apply what we've learned to the next iteration of it. And as part of that, figuring out what you've learned really requires listening, listening to each other listening to your peers, listening to yourself, trusting yourself. So they actually do learning, listening, and risk-taking all connect. And you really can't have one without the other. And the other aspect that I would factor into that is the connection and relationship piece of things. I sometimes work in organizations where people are expected to innovate in a vacuum, or even, even if they're not innovating, they're expected to work together really well and closely when they don't actually know each other let alone trust each other. So when we ask people to collaborate and we ask them to take risks, we actually need to build in some sort of relationship building component so that when they work together, especially if you know somebody's in Boston and someone's in Seattle and they're never going to be face-to-face except once or twice a year, for example, that they actually can work and collaborate well and exchange important information and trust each other enough to do that. That really can't be left out of the equation.
2: Yeah. You know, it, 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 when you talk about it, it seems so logical and it seems so matter of fact. Uh, but I know at the heart of this is, you know, this idea of how we work together. right? Right. And you know, yeah, I'm sure we can, we can point to maybe one or two people that come to mind where they've created brilliant things all by themselves. I don't really know a whole lot of them. Um, And, and so I think that part of this, you know, that I hear you talking about is listening has to do with, yeah, you have to have another person to listen, right? Right. Um, So this idea of building ideas or idea building that's done in relationship with people, you know, let's talk about why that's important and how the culture uh, of innovation really needs to be mindful of the temperament of the people, but not just the temperament, but you know where they are and whether or not they wanna even be innovative.
3: Great point. At really checking with people to see if they wanna be innovative because even within an innovative culture and innovative organization, you're still gonna need people managing risks. You're still gonna need people mm-hmm. managing finances and operations in some ways. People who like to maintain systems and be more conservative about things. They're gonna need to be the foundation of the organization. From a structural standpoint, so checking in with people to see who's even interested in being innovative, who thinks like that, who wants to be more creative and take those risks, you know, and, and who has the personality to align with that. This makes me think of a, a, one of my favorite examples of innovation. There's an organ a company mm-hmm. called Embrace, and uh, it was some students that were, I believe, were in an MBA program originally at Stanford, and they, for a class, ended up taken on a project that became an organization. And what this organization does is it creates baby, has created, has made a product, baby incubators that are used in rural areas and a lot of third world countries who have, especially areas like South India, Southern India that have less access to electricity. And a lot of those parts of the world, they're babies who are born premature or low birth weight, and they can't get access to any sort of warming incubator, let alone get to a hospital. And so this organization Embrace was Able to actually make and manufacture these incubators for premature babies. It looks like a little, like a little sleeping bag for babies, and it warms them for up to four hours, and then it gets recharged <sighs> by putting it in boiling water. And so, wow. we talk about listening. It was this really this incredible case example of empathic design, where they actually went to India. They really found out what materials would work in these communities. How could these be re- these incubators be recharged? Well, how would they need to be designed? so that it would work for these babies and these, these moms and dads. And so it's an incredible example of actually listening. And my favorite part of innovation, which is solving a problem that actually needs to be solved.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, when you're looking at this, uh, and I love that you're talking about innovation and we're talking about innovation and culture in the same sentence, because I think that um, a lot of times we make assumptions about innovation in the culture. Um, You know, I worked with for an executive vice president of, uh, you know, a high tech firm who decided that if we had an ideas program that would ask people for innovative ways to, you know, look at our expenses, how can we cut costs? He just basically said that people wouldn't participate and that he didn't think that this research organization should do this. It should be part of their job. So he was shocked to find out that we did a 30 day campaign, and at the end of that, uh, there were eight million dollars worth of cost effective ideas. And sometimes, don't you think, Claudette, that the conversation about innovation has to get past the leadership team, right? You know, it has to be something where the leadership team doesn't stay closed up in their bubble. How important is that? How important is that flow of communication where you even Bring people that are down there working in the trenches into the fold of innovation.
3: It's incredibly important, and I have unfortunately heard many leaders say what you <laughs> in the, the example you gave um, with the gentleman you're referring to mm-hmm. say to me. Yeah. I know what my people are going to say. I know what they're deciding in advance what people are going to say, versus bringing it up. Well, if we were to, and can, you know, how how, how could we cut costs? What are some really creative, innovative ways we could do that? And it's interesting to me that we hear those stories over and over again about how employees come together and come up with great solutions that are innovative, that are cost-cutting, that are simple and elegant. And yet, again, over and over, we see examples of leaders who won't allow that to happen. And I think sometimes, absolutely to your point. This needs to trickle downward through the leadership team into the organization, where at least the question gets posed to folks: Can you help yeah. us cut up with some, come up with some cost-cutting measures that won't yeah. impact the quality of our work yeah. or our company? Yeah, absolutely.
2: Yeah, I mean, isn't this like to your point about knowing what problem you're solving? Uh, is I think that's really kind of a you know a, a really important point. Is yeah, you can be super creative. But how does one go about figuring out, wait a minute, what's today's problem? What are we solving? And I'm, I'm not really talking about like, like yesterday, one of our AM stations, literally the power blue in the whole area. I mean, that's an immediate problem that you've got to get down and try to figure out how to do you know, for an FCC regulated station to go off air, not only are you responsible for your listeners, but boy, I'm telling you, you don't want the FCC to know about that, right? Right. (laughs) So some problems are like that, but some problems you have a little bit more leeway, right?
3: You do, absolutely, unless it's an immediate crisis like that example. You you need to know (laughs) what problem you're solving. And In organizations, we see this, and I'm sure almost everybody here listening can relate to this, where you're sitting in a meeting and you can't decide what problem you actually, actually need to solve. There's a difference of opinion in the problem definition stage, and that is real. there's no point in trying to solve anything until everybody knows what you're actually doing, and that is a big suck of creativity sometimes. Yet when we can get to the point of saying, okay, we've decided... The problem really is that the right people aren't getting the right information in a timely way or something like that, or we figured out what the glitch in our product is, so now we just need to, f- to decide how to solve it. Once you've you've identified what the actual problem is, then you can get into creative brainstorming. Then you can actually start to innovate. What would be the best, easiest, simplest way to solve this problem? And that's another aspect of innovation that we haven't really brought out today, that I think often the yeah. most innovative ideas are simple. When you really look at them, they and maybe the technology is complicated or things like that in the back end, but the way that the product or solution looks is actually fairly simple.
2: Yeah. I mean it's the example you use, the embrace example, was really, really pointed right to that. You know, that technology. And I believe that technology was was designed after NASA right? You know, technology was in a completely different segment, uh, right? The, 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 the science industry, the space industry, and somebody had the wherewithal to really look at that and say, wow, look at what we could do with that. Um, and so to your point about that, what does it take? And let's talk about this when we come back. What does it take to know that? What does it take to know that sometimes the solution can be right in front of us. What does it really take to have an open mind about that? What does that really, really take? And what perhaps are the downfalls of really not looking out into your culture and asking the people what that are actually doing the work? Yeah, let's take a short break, everybody. We'll be right back.
0: Awaken to your radiant, authentic self. For over 15 years, soul purpose advocate Nancy Monson has been focused on leading change in the lives of those looking to live their true purpose. She is devoted to supporting people and living a soul-directed life every day. Let Nancy help you overcome fear, worry, and doubt. Visit EverydaySpirituality.com to learn how Nancy can be your soul purpose advocate. Francine Vale is a being of light. She believes that all people of planet Earth are as well. As co-host of the Angel Healer radio show, Francine teaches you heart-centered ways to manifest healing on your own behalf and how to integrate love more fully into your daily life. Connect with your angels as you find your life flowing with ease and harmony. Walk the path of light with Francine and Dr. Pat Basilli every month on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Get ready to rid yourself of all that is weighing you down and holding you back from living the life you want for yourself. Coming Clean, The Art of Transparency with Catherine Moss is a hit show for women in recovery who are ready to live life on purpose. Tune in and let Catherine help you live your truth one day at a time. Live each Tuesday, 9 a.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Have you ever tried to make lifestyle changes but had difficulty following through? Imagine what it would be like to get up each morning with energy, clarity, and motivation to tackle the day. If you want to get past limiting barriers that are preventing you from living your best life, join holistic health and wellness coach T. Carrie Mitchell each month on the Dr. Pat Show or visit lifestyle120.com today and start to receive the personal attention you deserve.
2: Hey, everybody, welcome back. Yeah, this is, uh, uh, like I love to say, I love to say this. You know, we're talking here with Claudette Riley about cultural brilliance and Cultural Brilliance Radio. This is the DNA of organizational excellence. Each week, we take a topic that is so very important to building an organization and building a culture, you know, where everyone gets to participate in the creation of excellence. And that's what this is about. That's what Claudette does. That's how she works with organizations, individuals, to take a look at what is the essence of what you're trying to do. And she's created a phenomenal model that talks about authenticity, design, and integration. And along the way, you're going to hear a lot about this. You know, today, one of the hottest topics right now to be talking about is not just innovation as if it were just like hanging out there, but what it means to develop and build a culture of innovation. You know, what does that look like, feel like? How can people get excited about that? Um, and, and that's why this is a really important topic, because we do want to get people excited about that. And one of the things, Claudette, you talk about is developing this mindset of innovation, not just once a year, let's have an innovative moment, right?
3: Exactly, exactly. <laughs> let's make it part of how we actually think in our organization, how we think and how we feel yeah, in innovative ways. Yeah. So when organizations adopt a mindset of innovation, it fuels and drives everything that they're doing. So it's not just, like you said, it's not a moment, it's not a team, it's not just a department, it's everybody thinking in an innovative way. And organizations that adopt this mindset, we start to see that, wow, at every level and every department and every team, there's innovation going on, no matter what that team or department is charged with, no matter what they're responsible for. So really, sometimes people will say, well, who can innovate in an organization? The answer is anybody. Mm. Anybody can be innovative, And if we're really listening, as we were talking about earlier in the show, if we're listening to each other and the leaders are open to listening, then when anybody innovates, those innovations can become part of the organization.
2: Yeah. And, you know, what what are some of the challenges with this, right? I mean, and, you know, one of the things I talked about before break and you talked about is... Uh, a couple of examples we just referred to. It's when, okay, I'm sitting up there and I'm thinking I'm, I'm the best one as the executive or maybe somebody, maybe the department head, maybe the executive director. I'm this person that knows exactly what my team needs. And so the farther up you go, the, the farther away you get from the people that are closest to the work. How do you go about this? How do you go about to engaging the people in the organization that are actually doing the work and bring them into the conversation?
3: I think it's fairly simple, at least at least on the surface, Yeah, is that you invite them. Uh-huh. We trust you. We know that you're close to this problem because you work in this particular room or with this particular machine or this system or process, whatever it is, day in and day out. And so we'd love your ideas about how we could improve this what are some innovative approaches because we keep running into the same problems over and over again. And so you take people seriously, you trust them and you, you have to, again, that word listening comes up, (laughs) listen to what they've Mm -hmm. shared with you and see where it fits and where it doesn't. And it, we we all hear these stories about, yeah, it was this person in the mail room, or it was this person down on the in the trenches, and they came up with this solution. And the, either the story usually goes and nobody listened, so then a big catastrophe occurred, mm-hmm. right? Like Delta or Southwest, right, with their computer system yeah. melting down. Oh you know,
2: or oh boy,
3: or we did listen and the person in the mail room or in the trenches came up with this beautiful solution and we implemented it and it was amazing. But those stories often are these anomalies instead of what i think they should be is these should happen this should happen all the time we should always be going to people at all, every different facet of our organization and saying how would you solve this
2: yeah what would be your yeah. thoughts on this
3: and uh, I, yeah what
2: you're talking about is really creating a, a, a mindset of, uh, of innovation, you know, where it's not an anomaly, you know, where people know that, Hey, I've got a great idea. This is what I do with it. Because the old moderate model is I got a great idea. I'm going to talk to my boss about it. But mm-hmm. if my boss doesn't think it's a great idea, the end stops there. Right. And then what if my boss does think that it's a great idea. And then it goes from my boss to another boss. And that's the last connection we make with the person that actually had the idea. So don't we have to also move the boundaries that we create Mm -hmm. in organizations? Don't we have to blur lines a little bit to, to make this happen sometimes?
3: Yeah. And we see some organizations becoming, like Zappos, for example, it's known to be very innovative, becoming much flatter organizations because of that. Yeah. So someone can, there's not, doesn't, you don't know, have to go through 15 layers of hierarchy to get to the top. And part of what happens, like to your point, is if, you know, I have a great idea and I go to my boss and my boss says I don't like it, yeah. it gets squashed. So we need to let people have an opening. And one of the paradoxes we often see is that, especially, as, as we know, with things moving so rapidly in our organizations and in our <laughs> world, there's a paradox that organizations, and that could be an individual, a team, whatever, need to stay open long enough to allow innovation to emerge, that the creative process requires patience and space. We can't really say create faster and get the best results. Yeah. So in, it's that idea of slowing down to speed up. We have to put in, somehow put breakpoints in along the way where there is a slowing down and a spaciousness that allows the most creative ideas and solutions to actually emerge. And that's actually, part I believe, part of the mindset of innovation. You
2: know, and it, let's just talk about something uh, that refers, you know, back to uh, what you mentioned earlier. It is we don't even define. It's hard to have a mental model of something. If we're not even sitting there having a conversation about what innovation means for your organization. So, for example, if if you just just blow it out there and say innovation, innovation, and let's go back to Apple and I'm Apple computer and you say innovation, innovation. And all of a sudden out of, you know, somebody, they come up with the embrace idea, the incubator idea. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and that idea is like, well, wait, that has absolutely nothing to do with the vision and the mission of Apple. That might Mm -hmm. be a great side project. So how does this work where you, you have these mental models, but the mental model is about the vision and the mission of the organization. Like, what does it mean for us?
3: Yeah, so the men- the mental models. What does it mean for us? And also, the mental models. How do- how are we going to get stuck if we think in our industry we only do this, in our company we only do that, and you know <laughs> things are done this way, and this is what we think is possible? I have a, a great example that might seem a little bit off the beaten path. Um, this is an example that actually took place in India, uh, and it was part of communication and change management. Something called enter- entertainment education. And some people Mm -hmm. went over there, and the idea that they were trying to deal with was to fight the devastating impact of the caste system, which, as many of Mm. us know, has been deeply rooted in India and many other places in the world for many, many hundreds of years. So they did something that seems a little counterintuitive. They created a radio soap opera as a way of changing long-held norms. And I love this story. So three times a week, people who were listening to this radio show would hear the adventures of a bunch of characters who are facing the same problems as the listeners faced you know, all everyday people. And the writers, though, behind the radio programs wanted to encourage people to talk about this caste system, this debilitating system. And people, mm. act, you know, people knew it should be abolished, but nobody was willing to really talk about it because – People in certain levels of the cast were considered, quote unquote, untouchables. And part of the story around that is you couldn't talk about them. So nobody could talk about this issue except about the radio show. So at the end of each program, someone who was well known in in that particular region would recap the events by asking questions like, what should these characters do next? How should they handle this really tough problem? And then people started to gather at work or at their pub or in their homes, and they actually would talk about the show and what started to happen is that more people were doing things you know who agreed that this caste system should be abolished individual families would start to invite people at different levels of the caste who normally would never come into their home to be invited into their uh. home and so the crux of the matter well the outcome ended up being that through this radio drama and the conversations that ensued many of these practices that just debilitated and devastated a certain group of people in particular regions were gone in about a year and so the story seems incredible until you think about this one fact about why it worked is that the reason people were able to change this is because they finally were able to talk about it. And so it's a very elegant solution to a problem that no yeah. one had been able to handle for years. And it's that that saying, you cannot change something until you can talk about it. And I think this is one of the most brilliant mm-hmm. examples of innovation.
2: Yeah. I love that example because it really does point to uh, the model uh, that you've created for cultural brilliance. It really does go back to the authenticity uh, arm of this, because when you're talking about authenticity, to, not, to have an organization where people are not talking about <laughs> what's actually going on uh, doesn't really create a culture of innovation. And I think that example that you used is perfect for that. Because you said it before, if we're not listening and we're not inviting the conversation, that same old, same old happens. When we come back, we're going to talk about emerging innovations. What are the signs of an innovative culture? You know, what are the five requirements that Claudette's going to share with us here to truly innovative uh, company? Stay tuned, everybody. We'll be right back. Wow, everybody, welcome back. This hour is going by so quickly. Oh, my gosh. Cultures of Innovation, Claudette Rowley, joining me here today. Claudette, you know, uh, let's take a moment, if we could, and again, let's give out information um, about you, and folks can go to your website, too, and listen to past episodes of the show. So uh, give out that information again.
3: So my website is ClaudetteRowley.com, and as Pat said, there are— yeah. Uh, previous episodes of the show there's more information about the cultural brilliance model and the the process right there on the website yeah
2: awesome okay i love this next uh, topic and i'm glad that you kind of saved this for last to talk about uh there are songs you know that i grew up with about seeing the signs seeing the signs (laughs) You know, we're talking a lot about listening, but I think we got to look. Dude, take take a look about you know get our get our eyes checked a little bit too. Right. So, emerging innovation, signs of an innovative culture. It's like mm-hmm. how many times have you worked in organizations, Claudette, and people are like I just didn't see it. I just didn't see it,
3: Claudette. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> didn't see it coming. Right. Right. Yeah.
2: So, what have you learned? What have you learned about what it takes to build a truly innovative company?
3: Part of it is I'm gonna I'm gonna borrow from an, um, a couple of people who work in innovation all the time uh, who wrote an article called "The Five Requirements of a Truly Innovative Company" by Hamill and Tenet, or the authors. And they came up with five, five these five requirements. That I think say a lot, and then I'm gonna add more to that as well. But one of the things they talk about is employees think like innovators. So piggybacking on something we said earlier, that we have to make sure that people are willing to be innovative, and sometimes we actually need to. <laughs> We need to train them and teach them how to think like that, so that they can make a, a good choice there about whether it works for them. Um, certainly, having a definition of innovation sounds basic but important. If you don't, if you're not on the same page about what an innovation means for your company, no one's going to actually know what's going on. You might need some metrics in place if you keep metrics for innovation. And then I think almost most importantly is your leadership needs to be really—if they're not—they need to be innovative themselves, and certainly supporting it and. And shepherding this idea of creating an innovative culture and having innovation-friendly management practices in place. So, for example, if you're going to have an innovative culture, you can't have, you know, three inches of bureaucracy in place so that it takes people two months <laughs> to get anything done. That that, 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 that works against innovation. Definitely. Yeah. And something else yeah. that I think is so important in, in terms of a sign of an innovative culture is that we see those cultures and those companies Starting to solve, either starting to or, or continuing to solve problems in what I would call creative and life-enhancing ways. So, for example, a simple example would be if you need to cut costs, you're not just going to lay off 15% of your workforce. You're going to look for another way to cut costs that don't impact yeah. your entire workforce. And I think yeah. that's a really big thing do sign.
2: you think it is? Yeah, why do you think it is, and this is really something that I know we're probably going to talk about down the road, why do you think it is we don't ask employees more? Like the example I gave, where we finally did a program, it was called Ideas That Work, and it was a 30-day program, and everybody in Bell Labs uh, or the Bell Corps at the time participated. Why do you think that the leadership team does not get the individuals more involved with cost-cutting ideas for their own groups,
3: I think a couple of different reasons. D- depending on what kind yeah. of leader you are, some leaders don't really want yeah. the input; they want to make the decision and just hand it down. Uh, I think that's changing mm-hmm. a lot. And then sometimes people—it's so simple that they overlook it. Well, we need to come uh, up with, you mm-hmm. know, we need to come up with a matrix for this. We're going to do this and that. We need some sort of, pro- <laughs> you know, process reengineering as opposed to, why don't we ask everybody to submit their ideas for cost cutting by the end of next week? Yeah. Let's have a town hall meeting and yeah. see what ideas come up. Sometimes yeah. it's actually overlooked. I mean, it, it,
2: do you think that, you know, do we have this thing that's happening and I'm not sure that this happened overnight, but over time, you know, I, I've got to bring up the idea of trust and mm-hmm. innovation, right? Yeah. I mean, I know you've talked about this before. I know it's part of the cultural brilliance uh, approach and model, but I can't help imagine that you're going to have an innovative culture if you're not having trust
3: go on there. You're not going to have too much of an innovative culture without trust. And <laughs> especially the it having an internally innovative culture without trust. So yeah, you've got to have trust in place. And that is certainly a sign of an innovative culture. We could have a culture with trust that's not innovative. So there are other factors in place, I think, but it's definitely a sign of either innovation or potential for innovation to have that kind of trust. Because with that trust, you can take more risks, Mm -hmm. you can build relationships, you can debate important ideas. People aren't going to hold back because they don't feel safe to talk about something unpopular. It's a good point. Yeah.
2: And I think this talks to your point about, you know, uh political agendas, infighting, all of those unresolved things. So, you know, part of what you do in working with organizations, you really have to get in there and figure out what's happening in the organization. And you know what's interesting about innovation? You know, your approach to this really includes a version of climate, meaning organizational culture and organizational climate have always been looked at separately. Mm -hmm. And I think by the, uh, you know, by the, the model of authenticity, you're gonna be in the pulse of what's happening here, right? Mm-hmm.
3: Absolutely. You're on the pulse of what's happening here, and another sign of an innovative culture is that there's high a quality of high emotional energy amongst the people mm. that work there. And, and, yeah. and again, at all levels, you're gonna there's a sense of vitality. Uh, people may work hard. Uh, they might get tired and stressed yeah. at times but generally speaking they like why they're there and what they're doing and that's a sign of innovation as well because it's a sign of creativity and and positive energy
2: yeah I, and, you know the companies that you talked about earlier i mean i'm surely we're not talking about all of the innovative co- companies that we point to today and we look at in the world you know certainly we're seeing some innovation in and in, and some of the green companies um, you know, some of the things that are being created that have never been created before. Uh, like I I just saw a, somebody invented a solar panel walkway where mm, the, wow. the walkway was solar paneled and the wire was lighting up the entire street or something like that. Mm. Uh, so I want to ask you, you know, when we step back and look at this, what's the message in this today? And I can't believe how quickly the hour has gone by. But what's the message What do you want to leave folks with today?
3: One of the things I'd like to leave folks with is when you think about an innovative culture, I like to relate it to what I call brilliant cultures. And brilliant cultures are responsive to the needs of their people, their systems, and the external environment. So when cultures are innovative, we know they're responding to their external environment because the external environment is buying their products and services most of the time. We know they're responsive to their systems, and I think at least fairly responsive to people. Uh, And so an innovative culture has an aspect of brilliance to it. And mm. it has an aspect of responsiveness to it. And it also has an aspect, I think, of looking for the unknown, looking for the needs that have not been addressed yet, which we, you know, was considered usually a hallmark of innovation. And that makes me think of one of my favorite quotes by Miles Davis, which is, don't play what's there, play what's not there. And I think cultures of innovation are doing exactly that. Wow. Thank
2: you, Claudette. What a great show. Thank you so much for today. Thank you, Pat. Wow. I want to thank everybody for tuning us in and turning us on and know that uh, we've got more to come, more conversations about culture, innovation, and more conversation about how to value, value not just the work and the end game, but the people that make it happen. We'll see you next time
1: been listening to the hit show cultural brilliance radio the dna of organizational excellence with claudette rowley conversations that are transforming the world of culture and business you can download this podcast and find out more about claudette and her breakthrough work at ClaudetteRowley.com. please contact claudette and find out how you can create a brilliant culture